Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny V. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 35,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been living with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm Uh. feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring bookish love straight to your ears wherever you are. Today, I'm talking picture books with authors Beck Marshallsay and Millie Lewis. Beck is a Gold Coast writer who has been passionate about reading, writing and telling stories for as long as she can remember. Her debut picture book is Facing the Wave. Millie has loved books since she was a little girl. Her parents still tease her because when she was four years old and they took her to see Beauty and the Beast, she was only really interested in the scene with the giant library. I feel you, Millie. Her debut picture book is Mr. Price's Pet Emporium. Welcome, Beck and Millie. Thanks, Jenny. So excited to be here. (laughs) Thanks, Jenny. Yeah, really excited to be here and have a chat. It's so cool that we are finally able to meet, even if it is just by Zoom, but I know we've followed each other on socials and we have held your beautiful book. So let's start with an elevator pitch of Facing the Wave, Beck. It's such a beautiful book. The illustrations are amazing and the foil on the front is just divine. Hit us with an elevator pitch. Absolutely. Uh, Facing the Wave is about uh, a little boy, Jude, and he's desperate to go surfing with his family who are all uh, you know, active beach lovers. Uh, But there's something stopping him and he just can't quite get in the water and he finally gets up the courage to to share his fears and his concerns with his dad Uh, and his dad gives him just a little bit of encouragement uh, to help him him face his fears and and be brave in, in circumstances that aren't always going to be controllable or within your control. You're part of that world, Beck. Tell us about your connection to the ocean and the surf. Absolutely. I, much like Jude, have always been fascinated with surfing. I, uh, you know, grew up with swimming lessons were non-negotiable in our house. So we were, we were sort of water babies. And uh, when I was about 13, I decided that uh, swimming lessons weren't for me anymore. And I experimented with surfing ad hoc on and off. When I finished high school, I joined Surf Lifesaving and uh, have been involved with that ever since. I even met my husband through life-saving, so passionate about water safety, passionate about aquatic participation as a, you know, great uh, community activity, but, you know, great form of fitness and social, and it's, it's brought a lot to my life. And um, over the past 10 years or so, I've been upping my surfing game, and much like Jude, it's something I've always loved, but have at different points in my life, oh, no, I'm, 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 oh, I'm too scared, I'm, I'm scared of failing, or I'm scared of falling off, and I have been a bit rickety with it, and I'm proud to say I'm now a very, very average intermediate surfer, um, but I still, still some days, even though I know that I'll always feel better for getting out there, you still, you still sort of pull up to the car park and hope that the group that you're surfing with will have cancelled or something, because you just, just get, it's, it's an uncontrollable environment, but there's just nothing better than the feeling of catching the wave and you never regret it as soon as you're in the water you just think it's magnificent and I wanted to share that with you know with the community and and with the surfing community but with with other people obviously Australia has quite a big beach culture and um mm. but the beach can be quite daunting for kids and adults alike so 
um, just wanted yeah, to absolutely. the joy and the and the fears about going in the water. When I started mm-hmm. surfing, I think I was just just gung ho. I was always a really brave, nervous kid. So I was always really good with risks that felt I could manage. So rock climbing was fine because you had a rope and all you had to do was trust the equipment. Uh, but the failing, mm. which I think translates to all sorts of areas of life for a lot of people, whether it's writing or, um, you know, surfing or something, I think it's it's that thing that you can't quite put your finger on. You might think about sharks, you might think about getting dumped and, you know, but I like, oh, you know, if you're going to think about sharks, you might as well go in. And I'm a good swimmer. So I don't really have anything to be particularly afraid of, but it's just it's just the fear of failing. That you know, what if what if I fall off? In oh, what if I'm terrible? What if I can't do it? What if I can't get out the back today? And then you get in there and you go, oh, it's it's not really a big deal. You'll just you'll have a rough day and you'll get um you know get back out there next week and you'll have the best wave of your life. So it's it's worth the the risks and the bumps and the the tumbles and all that sort of thing. It's really interesting what you say about being anxiously brave because I'm the type of person who goes rock climbing and bungee jumping and rollerblading and yet I often talk about my anxiety and so I've never thought about being anxiously brave which really resonated with me and it sounds a lot better than just being anxious. I'm not sure that the two always gel together though, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I was a really brave warrior so I would, you know, jump off of high things or do the the things that um, you know, where mm. on the outset, but then I'd be worried about as a little kid, you know, the Gulf War that I'd overheard on the news or something like that. And I all had to evacuate, or I'd worry about all sorts of things. So, yes, getting really, really Isn't that funny. <laughs> anxiety in one area can change yeah, no. being, being brave in others. <laughs> I've never articulated it like that, and it just makes so much sense, and it really resonates with me. And I think I think it's a thing. And from now on, I'm not going to say I'm anxious. I'm going to be anxiously brave or bravely anxious. It sounds heaps better, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm very brave, confident warrior. (laughs) Exactly. I love that. Now, Millie, let's throw to you for your elevator pitch for Mr. Price's Pet Emporium. And this is just such a wacky book and the illustrations again, next level, beautiful. What's the book about? I would be delighted. So Mr. Price's Pet Emporium, you have to sort of think Rod Campbell's Dear Zoo, but instead of a zoo, it's a pet shop run by a pathological liar with a penchant for dress-up play. Well, you nailed that. Now, I want to hear more about that character, Mr. Price. How did you describe him? So a pathological liar with a penchant for dress-up play. Yeah, that's Mr. Price. That is some description. I think we could get all deep and psychological about this character too. Well, honestly, it actually, uh, so the idea started with Rod Campbell's Dear Zoo. That was my favourite picture book as a little, little, little one. Uh, my mum wore out our copy at home, reading it to me at bedtime. Uh, and I was sort of rereading it myself uh, as a new mum. Uh, and I realised, oh, this is um, kind of a cool concept and something that I could maybe age up a little bit. So I sort of thought, who was this person at the zoo who was sending all these dangerous animals out to this young child unchecked? Did they alert the post office? Did they do the necessary checks for this child? And I thought, um, oh, well, this is kind of a fun idea. I can do something with this. So Mr Price really was born from that idea of sort of somebody a bit manic and a bit strange at the other end, kind of making these weird decisions about the pets that he might be giving to this little girl. So I kind of liked the (laughs) the humour in that, you know, those questionable motivations. 
It's such a weird and wacky book. Can you give us one example of Mr. Price doing something a little bit dodgy? Well, he does lots of things that are a bit dodgy in this book, but in general, uh, so he's passing off these pets to Katie, our main character, uh, that uh, on on the surface look like they're cute and cuddly and then you realise, oh, he's actually done some dodgy things here. So we've got, you know, some sharks masquerading as goldfish or um, tigers masquerading as kittens. So, yeah, he's tricky. It's such a fun and wacky book and I love that so much. It's so original and I love how it's inspired by a book that you loved as a child. Now, I'm assuming that we're all avid readers here. What childhood book is really important to you or is still important to you and you've taken something from it from childhood? Because I always think that it's the books from childhood that continue to resonate with you Absolutely. And they're all the ones that I've bought for my own son. So uh, we've got a shelf full of uh, Pamela Allen, full of Alison Lester. Uh, Magic Beach is uh, read many, many nights. Uh, but in general, yeah, it's the, the ones that I loved were the ones with rhythm and rhyme and, you know, some touches of humour or some sort of emotional resonance about them. It's really special when you can bring your childhood books to your own children. I've had a similar experience with Babysitter's Club, both the film and the books, and my kids love them. And it's just so nice to bring your childhood to them. It's a really special experience. That's awesome. And nostalgia is just such a powerful thing, isn't it? I, I think nostalgia is as powerful as any emotion. You know, it's up there with love, I reckon, nostalgia. Beck, what about you? What books really stay with you or have stayed with you since childhood? Probably the ones I've brought forward into my adulthood are a little bit older, what would probably be junior or middle grade fiction now that really stand out. Um, naturally, series like the you know, Narnia just sort of stick with you. That was responsible for my obsession with Turkish delight um, as a person <laughs> to eat it because it was in the book, even though it was it was the, the evil queen gave it to you and you probably shouldn't eat it. it you know, it fascinated me. Uh, and I remember, funny you say about the series, because I remember when they made the Narnia films there's some blue bottles or some flies on the windowsill in the room and they they did that and I was so touched because I remember it so clearly from the book and there was another series called the Christmas of Pridane which I don't know anyone who else has ever heard of them and they're based on Welsh mythology about Taran uh, an assistant pig keeper and he goes on these huge adventures and they were just magnificent and I still have them I can see them on my shelf just over there um, still the same doggies, and they just made me feel happy and safe and adventurous and I just adored them and would still read them over and over again as adults. I love how books can be nostalgic and they can bring you back to a, a time of safe, safety and fun and now you can play and write and remember all those childhood times. But why picture books? I mean, I think they're special and they're magical. It's the feel, it's the size, it's the weight, it's that you read them to your children when they're asleep. But why do you write picture books? I came to it. I, I had all, I've got lots of manuscripts of, you know, the lofty novel and things like that that are in various states of neglect on my computer and most stories half finished in my head because I'm waiting for them to be perfect. And then uh, in a completely original turn of events, uh, I had a baby and we probably rediscovered the magic of, of picture books. I remembered, you know, how much I'd loved them as a kid and again, never, never before sort of happened. You suddenly started thinking about what you loved about them and started, you know, humming rhyme schemes over and over in your head as you're rocking the baby to sleep. And um, Michelle Robinson's grandma from Mars was one of our favourites. 
And we, um, I was literally rocking my seven-month-old and doing the and this story came to me and those those that picture of Jude or that the scared kid and that's going to be my kid one day who wants to, you know, do something and they're going to be painfully scared to do it. And that's where the story came from. And I think that does speak to what you're saying about the magic of picture books. And um, I could see it being a really fun book. I like books that are fun. And I think there's a, you know, there's a place for serious, serious books that teach kids about a really specific issue. But I, I do like stories that, that do that as a, um, as a bonus, um, but they're quite fun on the surface. And that's, that's sort of what I found really compelling. And then once you see something like your story with the amazing illustrations, I've had Vaughan Duck illustrated my book and he's got all this incredible visual storytelling. So it just adds layers and layers onto the story. And it's just, yeah, it's just magnificent. And, and that's what I, I like about some of our favourite picture books here, that there's just so much going on and um, you can you can teach kids things without being didactic. It's fun. It's something the whole family can get involved in. So um, that's why I'm excited to be writing picture books now. I love how you said you're just waiting for your manuscript for a novel to be perfect because I'm often waiting for it to write itself. Because <laughs> it's got potential. While it's in your yeah. head, it's a, it's a bestseller and it's perfect and there's <laughs> nothing wrong with it. And once you type out your 100,000 words and you look at it and I'm so scared that you'll go, oh, is that it? Oh. Okay, well, there you go. But in your head, it's like a fresh notebook. It's amazing. I love that. And what about you, Millie? What is it about the magic of picture books? Look, I think um, the the thing, the wonderful thing about picture books is the fact that really they represent connection on all levels. And I think um, one of the reasons why we hold picture books so close in our hearts is because, you know, these memories from childhood or of sitting down and connecting with a parent or connecting with a family member or another adult who um, shares a moment with you, whether it's sharing a laugh about something that you find funny in the pages or, you know, sharing a feeling. Uh, and I think it's really special now to be a part of that, hopefully, for somebody else. So that's the beauty of them for me. That's exactly why picture books are so special because they're more than a book. They're a memory and they're a moment and they bring you back to a time and place where your kids were a little bit littler or when you were reading to them in bed. So it is really special. And I got to the stage where I could memorize picture books when I was out of the house and I was like a walking picture book. I have Nick Blad's entire Cranky Bear series yes. in, the, in the mental banks. It, sometimes it worries me what important information has gone out of my head to make room for that chunk of text. <laughs> it's so funny that you say that because it was that series that I could memorise and was stuck in my head as well. There must be something very special about the rhythm of those books that they're very memorable. It's very, very cool book. Imprinted on parents' psyches everywhere. Right. <laughs> Now, I want to go back a little bit and talk about the illustrations. Beck, Facing the Wave was illustrated by Vaughan Duck, and I just think he captured the movement and the dad so brilliantly. But I want to know your first reactions when you've written it, you've had the idea, and then the samples come back from the publishers. What was your first reaction? I was I was overjoyed. I was so incredibly happy. Uh, I, I guess I knew from my um, you know, dithering around writing podcasts and things like that, that, that what the illustrations are going to look like is largely out of your hands. And when they said, oh, Warren Dark, and you sort of looked at his stuff and I thought it was brilliant stuff, but you're sort of like, oh, okay. 
And that felt a bit weird because you you could then sort of begin to say maybe my book's going to look something like that, and but that's not your book. So it's a, a weird sort of, um, you know, cognitive dissonance. Um, but once I saw it, I was, it, it, you know, it wasn't quite what I'd pictured because I am not an illustrator, so I couldn't dream up all the amazing things that he put together. It was, you looked at it and went, oh, that's, that's my book. That's wonderful. It was just, mm. yeah, way. <laughs> I absolutely love Vaughan Duck's illustrations and his interpretation of the work. I particularly love the dad. I just think what a great job. Yeah, absolutely. And he said that that was one of the things when he got the story that he um, really thought that a lot of his previous books had been able to be a little bit more static. And I still think they look so bright and fun, but he he really worked hard, he said, on um, uh, you know trying to create that action and the the dynamic um, dynamic feeling of being at the beach and catching the wave and he just captured it perfectly and there's so many great mm. little sub stories and visual storytelling in there it's it's beautiful Millie tell me about your experience with Mr Price's pet emporium the illustrations they are so dynamic they're colorful and Mr Price for me is absolutely spot on Oh, look, I was just blown away when I saw the illustrations. It was such an exciting kind of consolidation of the story for me. I think I had no preconceived idea of what they should look like at all in my head. So seeing them come to life on the page was just this really strange out-of-body experience almost. And she got Mr. Price perfect. He's like, you know, kind of orange, almost Trumpish in his appearance. Uh, so he instantly <laughs> gives off this slightly creepy vibe. Um, but, yeah, so much whimsy. <laughs> and so much humour in these mm. illustrations. Just that visual side of humour is something that I admire so much because it's not at all within my skill set. Things like on the page with the shark, he's, the shark has a knife and fork, which is just such a crazy thing, right, to think that a shark would eat a child with a knife and fork. I thought that was just so <laughs> clever and touches like that are just right throughout the book. <laughs> Whimsy is just such a perfect way to describe those illustrations. You're spot on. Now, I always ask people who come on the podcast, why do you write? Beck, can I throw to you? I think I write because I just because I've got so much in my brain because I'm I'm definitely one of those people with an inner monologue. I know that I, like a lot of writers, am guilty of uh, being a chronic eavesdropper and studier of people's weird quirks and things like that. And I'm one of those people where you see someone do something weird or say something weird and you you file it away and go, oh, I'm going to use that in a book one day. <laughs> um, so, so just because just because yeah, that's, that's the way my brain works is I, I'm really passionate about storytelling. I think it's really powerful. I think it's a really powerful way of expressing what's important to us, what makes us anxious, what we value. Uh, and just such a, a wonderful sort of permanent medium for that. It's not as you know, transient as things like film and um, just there's so many beautiful stories out there in terms of doing creating magic for kids or, um, you know, I'm quite interested in great nonfiction. There's, there's so much great stuff where you can unpack the, you know, amazing history of a squid or, or whatnot. Um, so that's, that's why I write because there's, there's just lots to, lots to think about and talk about. I'm starting to really feel the vibe between the three of us and the similar ways in which we think anxiously brave and being an observer. I'm not sure you what you said about watching people. Yours so sounds less creepy. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Why do you write? Well, look, I 
fell into writing stuff also while I was on maternity leave yet again we're all very similar um but um for me it was born out of a desire to reconnect with a different part of myself so I mean I've been quite open about the fact that the transition to motherhood was a tricky one for me you get a newborn baby plonked in your lap with uh, no instruction manual and uh have to keep this thing alive all while you know (laughs) trying to deal with the various hormonal surges and disrupted sleep that come along with motherhood it's a deeply glamorous time (laughs) but um for me uh I I really struggled with with that side of things and I remember reaching out for help and getting lots of um lots of lovely well-meaning advice but a lot of it along the theme of oh well this window of your life is the time when you need to put your baby first um which uh you know is well-intentioned but really difficult advice to swallow when you're trying to find a way to fill your own cup so that you can still be present to to be there for your family. Um, So I sort of really rallied against the notion that motherhood and being a person with interests and passions and and other things to do were incompatible. Uh, And that was really why I took my first writing class uh, in that window of a new baby because I wanted to try and connect with some part of myself that was you know intellectual and fun and and passionate and that's how I fell into it and I fell in love oh wow that is just such a lump in throat moment and hearing your story it's so similar to mine I can see Beck's face she's clutching her throat I know she feels the same and this is how the podcast was born and you know the time when you have kids it's glorious but it's hard and it's lonely and you temporarily lose yourself and When you try and reclaim your identity, it's really, really hard, but that's how books and podcasts and amazing things are born. So if we can channel that energy into carving something amazing for ourselves, I mean, imagine how much more rich the world is. Yeah, I think the world is a much more interesting space when specifically mothers um, step up and claim their space within it. So um, certainly Mm. that's... I've come into contact with lots of wonderful mums in the kidlit community um, who share a similar passion and similar dreams. So, yeah. Oh, I think we're all about five seconds away from having a cry. Well, I know I am. I can't speak for you. <laughs> I'm just trying. I don't want to say anything because I feel like there's a whole other two-hour podcast in just this topic. So. You know, I'm thinking that coming up to May, Mother's Day around the corner, we need to revisit this topic, talk about all the grand things that women have achieved while trying to carve out something for themselves during motherhood. I think, I think this is going to happen. I think it's a really Com- important. Committed. <laughs> We're committed because I'm Sign recording. <laughs> I just don't think we have this conversation enough and I just can't thank you enough because I love so much where this conversation has led us and I can't wait for the sequel that we've just made up on the spot. But thank you so much for sharing your time and sharing a bit of your souls with me tonight. It's a vulnerable space to be, but I think there's strength in vulnerability. And that's something I've learned in my uh, middle age, I guess. And I was too afraid to be vulnerable when I was younger. But thank you so, so much for sharing that piece of your lives with me. You're so welcome. It's been wonderful. Yeah, thanks very much, Danny. And so nice to have you, um, yeah, as my debut podcast, really. <laughs> Thanks for taking care of us, Danny. 